Grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation this morning, the gospel reading that we heard just a moment ago from John 20, especially these words. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So far our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. It was four months ago, exactly to the date, that we gathered here in God's house and Christians gathered together throughout the world and celebrated Christmas Eve. We heard once again, as if for the first time, the message of the angels. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For to you, this day, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And then, the whole heavenly host broke out in song. Glory to God in the highest. And peace to his people on earth. The angels announced the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, and the fact that Jesus has come to bring peace. Peace. This is why Jesus came. His entire life and ministry, his entire person and work can be summed up in that one word, peace. What's the absence or the opposite of peace? Fear. Fear. God's word tells us that perfect love drives away all fear. Perfect love is Jesus Christ for you. We know all about fear, don't we? Oh, we've, we've had it ever since we were little. The fear of the unknown, the fear of growing up, the fear of getting in trouble with mom and dad, the fear of traffic, the fear of the burner on the stove, and it only increases and enhances as we get older. These last two years, the whole world has been gripped in fear. And we can be honest, it's affected all of us. The fear of getting sick, the fear of dying, the fear of being too close to someone, the fear of world economy, the fear of political turmoil. Fear, fear, fear. It's become almost a part of our very fabric and being. God's word for us today is peace. 
Peace be with you. The disciples knew all about fear as well. In fact, our text tells us the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They were afraid. They were locked in a room afraid that the same thing that happened to Jesus would happen to them. The authorities might be coming any moment. Not only are we going to stamp out Jesus, we're going to wipe out all of his followers. They were afraid. But they were also afraid of one particular Jew. Oh, you know his name. Jesus. That's right. They had heard reports that Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. Remember what they did? They ran. They abandoned him. When Jesus needed them most, they thought more of themselves, they thought more of their own hide, and they skedaddled. They were afraid. Afraid of Jesus. Afraid of being arrested. So they huddled together in fear. Ten of them. Why only ten? Well, Judas, in his fear, took his own life. Thomas, in his fear, was nowhere to be found. I suppose you could say maybe he was socially distancing, <laughs> self-isolating. He was afraid. He was even afraid to be with the other ten. Our account picks up on that first Easter evening. Locked doors mean nothing to Jesus. He didn't, he didn't crawl in the window or anything like that. Jesus, who conquered sin, death, and the grave, can easily overcome a locked door. Jesus was with them. Notice very clearly how Jesus deals with the ten. Notice how gently Jesus deals with his disciples. He could have come and chewed them out. He could have come and read them the riot act. They had it coming. They knew it. But Jesus, who is true compassion, Jesus deals gently with his disciples. Something all of us can learn. He deals gently with them. And he says, peace be with you. He knows what they need. They're afraid. He knows 
that they need what only Jesus can provide. Peace, real peace, true peace. And that peace is the forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus came. To win for us, to win for the world, true peace. And that is the forgiveness of sins. From the first drops of blood shed by Jesus in his circumcision, all the way to what we recounted during Holy Week, his brutal suffering, his betrayal in the garden, his drops of bloody sweat, the lashes that took him nearly to death, carrying his own cross. Jesus is at war. Jesus is at battle. For what? For you. Jesus is at war to bring us peace. As he hung naked, bleeding, and dying on Calvary's cross, he shouted out the victory cry. It is finished. To tell us die. Everything necessary for your salvation earned by the bloody death of our Lord and Savior Jesus. His dead body was placed in a tomb. People had given up hope, had forgotten the words that he said throughout his ministry that on the third day the Son of Man would rise from the dead. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus says what he's to do, and he does what he says. Three days later, on that day, Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. He's not the terminator, ready to bring vengeance and justice to all those who let him down. He is victorious. He is the Prince of Peace. He has won the war. And now, now he distributes the gifts that he has freely won. The gifts God freely gives, as we just sang in our hymn. The gift that the disciples needed most, Jesus brings. Peace be with you. And it's not just a, hey, how are you? Nice to see you again. It's not some sort of a, a colloquial greeting. It is an absolution. The great absolution. When Jesus says, peace be with you, he delivers what he has earned. He delivers the forgiveness of sin by the proclamation of that peace. And so the ten heard it. They believed it. And they rejoiced. But not Thomas. We have no idea where Thomas was or why Thomas wasn't there. Maybe he was just out getting groceries. We don't know. But we do know that he wasn't there. And when the other disciples talked to him, we know what Thomas's reaction was, don't we? It was not good. 
It's a reaction that all too often we join in. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's as clear and bold a statement of unbelief as recorded in all of Scripture. Thomas the doubter? No. Thomas the unbeliever. My friends, what happens far too often when we cut ourselves off from the rest of the body of Christ when we cut ourselves off from the Word of God, when we cut ourselves off from the gifts of God, for whatever reason, what happens is we turn into either rationalists or enthusiasts or a weird combination of both. A rationalist is one who places reason above the Word of God. Jesus is dead. It is impossible for a dead person to come back to life. My reason tells me this is impossible, so therefore it can't be true. An enthusiast places feelings and emotions above the Word of God. Well, you know, I, I hear it. But, but I just don't feel it. I, I, I don't feel it. Unless I, unless I feel it, it can't really be true. My friends, this danger is out there for all of us. When we let anything get between us and the Word of God, our reason and our emotions, which are good gifts from God, take over. And before long, our reason and emotions drowned out the Word of God. And eventually, like Thomas, drowned out our faith. My friends, when this happens to us, we need this section of Scripture more than ever. Eight days later, we might say the second Sunday of Easter. That's why this reading is always read on this particular day. Eight days later his disciples were inside again notice no mention of fear they were inside again and Thomas was with them 
For all of Thomas's faults, for all of Thomas's doubting, for all of Thomas's unbelief, Thomas knew where to be. He was with the other disciples. He was with the body of Christ in that place. Thomas, now with them. Although the doors were locked, once again, Jesus came and stood among them. He did not single out Thomas. He did not read him the riot act. He didn't chew him out. Notice how gently, even in light of Thomas's bold proclamation of unbelief, notice how gently, how compassionately, how peacefully Jesus deals with Thomas. Jesus said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. There's no record that Thomas actually put his finger in the nail hole or his hand in the side. He heard the word of God, peace be with you. He believed the word of God, peace be with you. He believed the absolution that Jesus spoke to him. He was converted. He believed. Thomas could only speak words of faith. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know what that means, folks? That means blessed are you. We haven't seen Jesus. Not, not physically. But we have heard the word. We have heard God's great absolution for us. We have heard that word of peace spoken into our ears and into our hearts. The forgiveness of sins is ours. Not because we've reasoned it out. Not because we feel it in our hearts. My friends, don't be deceived by these tricks of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven because God says so. Jesus, true God and true man, through his life, death, and resurrection, has won the battle, has earned this peace, and he distributes this peace to us today. And every time we gather. That's the beauty of that sermon hymn that we sang. Forgiveness in the great absolution, as we heard in our service earlier today. Forgiveness whenever God's word is read. Forgiveness in the supper. Strength as we gather together as the body of Christ. My friends, this is how God works. This is how God continues to distribute this peace to fearful people like us.
We're afraid. We're afraid every day of something. Sometimes our fears overwhelm us. Sometimes in our fear, we do silly things like cut ourselves off from the gifts of God, from the Word of God, from the body of Christ in this place. And what does Jesus do? In the same compassionate way, in the same gentle way, He comes to us. And He speaks words of peace. Words of peace to you. Words of peace to calm your fears. To drive away your fears. To replace that fear with a confidence that because Jesus lives, I live. Because Jesus lives, my sins are forgiven. Because Jesus lives, I can forgive others in the same compassionate and gentle way that God has forgiven me. Earlier in our text, we have the words of institution. No, not the words of institution for the holy meal, but the words of institution for holy absolution. Jesus, after he had absolved the disciples, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold the forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Wednesday in Holy Week, we heard our junior confirmats confess the fifth chief part of Luther's small confession. What is the office of the keys? It is that church power that God has given to the church on earth to forgive and not forgive sins. The old catechism says the peculiar power. You want to know why it's peculiar? Because it's unlike any other power in the world. God has given to the church and the church through the divine call has given it to the pastors. We have power. Not power to levy taxes. Not power to make you pony up when the offering plate comes by. Not power to make you live in a certain way. Those are abuses of power. The power, the threefold power, is to preach the word. Administer the sacraments. That's why pastors are sometimes called ministers. And to forgive or not forgive sins. We don't talk about the not forgiving sins much. It's one of the most painful things that a pastor is called to do. When someone is openly unrepentant of their sins, God tells us we're not to cast pearls before swine. 
The forgiveness of sins earned for the whole world is not for someone who doesn't want it. Not for someone who is manifestly unrepentant. They need to hear the word of the law. That if they continue in their sin, they are headed in a hellish path. Under normal circumstances, these keys are carried out by the called servant, the called pastor of the congregation. But notice, Christ gives the keys to the church. Receive the Holy Spirit. All who believe and have the Holy Spirit have these keys. And we need to exercise them in our vocations. That means in our families. Husbands, forgive your wives. Gently, compassionately. Wives, forgive your husbands. Parents, forgive your children. Children, forgive your parents. And when those folks in our families are caught in sin, when they are open and unrepentant in their sin, Parents need to have the courage to believe the Word of God. To speak a word of warning. Generally this happens with regard to sexual sins, cohabitation, and the like. Parents are, are more worried about their feelings their relationships, their, their reasoning out. They're more concerned about being a rationalist or an enthusiast than they are about the hellish consequences for their children. My friends, many of us, far too often, have let our, our reason and our emotions trump the Word of God. Many of us have spoken when we should have been quiet and quiet when we should have spoken. There have been times when we have foolishly cut ourselves off from the Word of God and from His gifts. There have been times when we simply didn't trust it, didn't believe it. My friends, Jesus comes to you today. Not with a checklist. Not to get you to pony up. Not to scare you into submission. But He comes to you today gently. Compassionately. His word for you today. My son, my daughter, peace be with you. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, our fears in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Having heard the word of God, we are bold to 